So this morning, um, I felt led to share from maybe one of the most famous stories, parables from the Bible. The story is known as the prodigal son. Have you guys heard, of, heard about that parable before, prodigal son? And before we get started, I want to share some context behind the parable son. Oh, prodigal son, I'm sorry. Prodigal son. Um, actually, can we have the verses up? I'm going to start off from Luke chapter, I'm sorry, that's the wrong chapter, chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, Luke chapter 15, verse 1. And the Bible tells us, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. So when Jesus told this parable, he was talking to who? The sinners, public sinners. Like these guys weren't even fronting like I'm religious or I have a relation with God. These were well-known sinners. And he was talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were religious leaders. They're known for their pride and self-righteousness. And they're the ones that eventually killed Jesus a couple weeks later on the cross. So now I want to move into the parable of the prodigal son. So if you could move to chapter 15, verse 11, and let's start reading the parable together. And he said, Jesus, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that was coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long ways off, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran, embraced him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let's eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. 
And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all this is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost. And is found. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for your word, the Bible. Thank you so much for revealing your heart for the lost. I pray that you will be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, with my sermon, I want to highlight the three characters in the story. The first one is the younger brother, the rebellious son. The second is the religious son, the older brother. And third is the righteous father. So for the first, rebellious son. So your younger brother represents the public sinner that we were talking about earlier. These guys don't even pretend that they have a relationship with God. They're either prostitutes or tax collectors. They're known to be sinners. And this is a, and, and, and they do a big, big, in the story, the son commits a big, big dishonor. He asks for his inheritance. And essentially, what the son is telling his father, I don't love you. I want your stuff. I don't care if you're alive. Just give me your stuff. He was very direct. And I pictured myself when I was reading this passage, if Jordan would tell me that, that would absolutely destroy me as a father. But that's exactly what the son does. He does the unthinkable. And surprisingly, the father gives this young man what he wants. And it's shocking now, but even more in Jesus' time and culture. This would have got Jesus killed, the little, little son killed for asking this. I mean, it's offensive now, but back then, he would have got physically beaten and disowned from the family. But yet, this father still gives his inheritance to his younger son. And I believe Jesus is making the spiritual point that God gives sinners the freedom to choose their course in life, right? Because I was wondering that question. Why would he give an inheritance to the younger boy? But I believe, again, Jesus is making the spiritual point that God gives, gives the sinner the freedom to choose their course in life. And ordinarily, when people hurt us, we get angry and retaliate, right? To protect our hearts. But this father maintains his affection for his son and bears agony. This is the money that he worked hard for all of his life, and he's giving it away 
to his younger son. And what does the son do? He turns his back on the father and walks away. And I need you to really picture this. Imagine the father giving his inheritance away and the father standing there. And the son walks away. And the father's probably just bawling his eyes out. And he's just hoping for the son to look back and at least give him a wave or look at him or say something, but he doesn't. The son just walks off. And he walks off to a far country. That's what the Bible says. And he's probably buying new clothes, right? Like Japangelis or, or Supreme. He buys a new condo, new house. He's living this reckless lifestyle as described in the Bible. He's partying with prostitutes. He's hanging out with people with low character. And his so-called friends, they're just in it for his money. And he just starts spending, and he's running out of money. And a famine hits. And a famine for us is like the Great Depression, right? The stock market is crashing. Real estate's going down. Unemployment rate's going up. And he's, he's essentially lost everything he has. And he has nowhere to go. His friends that he used to hang out with at Oiwakis or, or uh, Miyagi's off of Sunset Boulevard, they're no longer around, right? They're no longer around. And the only job that he could find was working at a pig farm. And that's the worst job a Jewish boy can do. Essentially, the Jews see pigs as unclean animals. Unclean animals. And he's working there, and he's so hungry that he's tempted, he's tempted to eat the food that the pigs are eating. He's that desperate. And in verse 17, the Bible tells us, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Next, first please. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He realized, man, I messed up. The father was good. What was I thinking? What was I thinking? And it mentioned hired servant in that, in that passage. Not servant, but hired servant. Hired servants back then didn't live on, on the property. So essentially, he's so humbled that he was saying that, I can't even live in the same house with a dad anymore, but hopefully I can work my way back into the house eventually. And I don't think he's going to even accept me as a family member, but you know what? It's better than being here alone. So then he heads back home. And what happens when he comes home? Well, let's wait until point three to talk about the love of the father. 
when they get reunited. So we're going to move on to point two about the older brother, the religious son. And as I mentioned earlier, the elder son represents the Pharisees. But you know what? What really convicted my heart when I was reading this? And this is, this is some serious stuff. And this is out of love. I felt that many of us are like the older brother. Many people in the church, as I read the passage, that out of love, Christ is warning us. They, the Pharisees live a religious life. Maybe they attended church every Sunday. Maybe they're serving in different ministries, right? Those are good things, right? Maybe they're in something called a life group too, perhaps, or a small group. But the thing is, they didn't have a relationship with God. It was all empty. Their works became their Lord and Savior, believing that they can earn their way to heaven instead of having Christ as their Lord and Savior. Let me repeat that again. Their works, their works become their Lord and Savior, believing that they can earn their way into heaven instead of having Christ as their Lord and Savior. And there are more similarities and differences between the brothers, right? They both want the same thing, but they just approach it differently. They're both lost. That's what Christ is telling us in the parable. They're both lost. They're after the Father's inheritance, and they don't care about the Father. And I believe that being the older brother is a lot more dangerous than being the younger brother. Many times the older brother is blinded because they are lost by their works. They're just busy. But you got to ask yourself, why am I serving the Lord? Am I doing it for myself, my identity? Because people are going to think, I'm a hard worker, I deserve to be here. Or are you doing it for Christ? That's something that we need to check our hearts constantly. Constantly. And that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to share a passage from Matthew. And it's a very convicting passage where Jesus tells us that you may think that you're doing incredible things, but if you don't have a relationship with him, it means nothing. So if you could turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus tells us, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus straight up tells us the most important thing is to have a relationship with Christ. 
And I was reminded of this as well, too, when my brother, he's a pastor at Evergreen, uh, about 10, maybe 10 minutes away from our church. But he used to be an NFL coach, and I guess when you're in the NFL, they let you in everywhere, right? So he was able to speak at schools, share the gospel, right, to uh, jails, go in there. He said they didn't even frisk him. They're like, go ahead. You have a Seahawks sweater and go ahead. Talk to the inmates. But he was telling me that when he shares the gospel in prison compared to the church, there was a greater response in prison than church. Do you guys know why? Because the prisoners know there's something wrong with them. I need help. I need help. But when you're in church, you have a nice home, car, nice job, nice sanctuary with AC or with a heater. Man, you're going to think, I'm okay. But that's dangerous. I think that's what the enemy wants you to think. He wants you to think that you're okay. But inside, you don't have a relationship with Christ don't have a relation with Christ. And Jesus straight out tells us in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, you need a relationship. I don't care if you could do a thousand sit-ups or jumping jacks or run the mile in four minutes. Do you have a relationship with me? I don't care if you could preach. I don't care if you could run a ministry on your own or sing. Do you have a relationship with me? And from this passage, I have three signs of being an elder brother. The first one is the older brother never had a relationship with the father, as I mentioned before. He might have been physically present, right? How many of us are physically present at church? But there's no relationship with the father. And in verse 25, the Bible tells us, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. At first when I read it, it didn't really resonate, but after I read it four or five times, I realized, man, these guys aren't talking. Why wouldn't the dad tell the older brother, hey, we're going to have a barbecue. Your son, your brother is back. Let's celebrate. That means they weren't talking. He had no idea. He was in the field and he came out and he started asking his servant, what's going on? Oh, your brother's back. And that really spoke to me too because, I mean, are we in the word? Are we listening to what God's telling us? How are you supposed to listen? By emotions? Oh, I listen to this Hillsong United song and I feel great. God's talking to me. No, we need to be reading the word. That's how you listen to God. Is his word right here, the Bible, right? The word. And the other thing is, are we praying to God? And obviously, the elder brother wasn't talking to the father. And it's kind of like us. Like, are we praying to God? Maybe God wants to tell you something special. But you're not listening because you refuse to talk to him. He gave us us one of the greatest gifts is prayer. We got to be devoted to prayer. 
constantly. How are you supposed to be connected to the Father? Just magically do one prayer and you expect one day to just have this great relationship? No. It's a daily, daily thing that you need to be connected with the Lord, be in the Word and pray. The second part is joyless works. This dude wasn't happy, right? You could tell. He was not happy. Verse 29 tells us, but he answered his father in a rude way. Look, look, look here. These many years, I've served you. There's a different translation that says, I have slaved for you. And I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. One sign of older brother spirit is a feeling that God owes me favor with a good and comfortable life. He had personal expectations from God. He felt entitled. God owes me something. I'm doing this. You owe me something. How come you're not giving me this? This goat or calf, whatever I wanted. And this will always lead to anger whenever you have trials. Remember that. This will always lead to anger whenever you have trials. If you feel you've been living right, you will be angry at God because you expect more. I'm serving you. I'm doing all this for you. Why aren't you blessing me? Why are you blessing KD, Kevin Durant, and not me? I'm more faithful than KD. Right? Why? You get upset. But also, if you're not living right, you're going to be angry at yourself. Either way, your life will be filled with anger because you have been trying to control God through works and goodness. You're trying to control God through your works instead of having a relationship with Christ. And the third point, he had no desire to find the lost brother, right? That's pretty obvious, right? No desire. The older son would not even own or acknowledge his brother. In verse 30, says, But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Did you get that? He doesn't even acknowledge that's his brother. He feels that he's superior to the brother. He has a judgmental spirit. I will never do that. I'm not bad as him. The older brother feels that the younger brother does not deserve his sins to be forgiven. He doesn't. That's the spirit of the older brother. And as Christians, we need to understand that we all deserve hell. But by God's grace, we are saved. Amen? And the older brother doesn't even look for his brother. He stayed home. And I could imagine the dad just in anguish. Maybe he's just sleeping in, in his bed all day and crying. How can you do that? If, you're, if, you're, if your parent is upset, you're just going to watch him suffer? So to me, it showed that 
He didn't love his father, and obviously, he didn't love his brother. He just stayed. He didn't do anything. And plus, in that culture, the eldest brother gets the bulk of the inheritance. But he didn't do anything. He didn't do what he was supposed to do, where his main role was to keep the family together. That's why they get the bulk of the inheritance. So if you have a lost family member, the eldest son is supposed to go out and look for the lost or missing family member. So he didn't do any of that as well. He just stayed. He just stayed. And I think too, like how many of us struggle with evangelism? Right? How many of us? Do we, do we suffer from the older brother spirit at times? Man, this guy doesn't deserve the Lord. He's a little bit different from us. You know, I don't feel like sharing the gospel. You know, how many times have we felt that way? Or our enemies, we're called to love our enemies, right? We're, supposed to, we're called to win them back to the Lord. But are we doing that? And the third point is with the righteous father. We come to the final point, the main character of the story, the father. And in this parable, Jesus really reveals the incredible heart of the Father. So let's continue from point number one, when the younger son comes back. And the Bible tells us, when the younger son came back, what was the father doing? He was waiting for him. He was waiting. That man, he was always checking He probably went out to his front porch. He's like, man, I hope my son comes back. He's praying and he's hoping. He's praying and he's hoping. And also, I could see him maybe calling some friends that live in the same region. How's my son doing? Or maybe checking on Facebook, on his status, or Instagram. Right? As a concerned parent, wouldn't you do that? Right? If Jordan moves to college, I'll be checking in all the time with him, right? Uh, And he's probably getting reports saying, man, he's not doing well. He was drunk last night. He passed out at the bar. Um, He got tested for STDs. He might have AIDS. He's homeless. He doesn't have a job. And I could just picture the dad just saying, that's my son. I love him. That's my son. He's worried sick about his son. That's how much he loves his son. Even though he disrespected him, he's thinking about his son constantly. And from a distance, he sees a figure. And he's thinking, is that him? And as that, that figure comes closer, he realized, that's my son. He said, that's my son. And back then, they didn't wear jeans, right? 
right? Or spandex or anything like that, right? They had, guy, dudes wore skirts, right? Can you picture them? Like him just carrying up his skirt like a little girl covering his undergarment and like running and running. And even today, today grown men don't run, right? Do you guys run? Except Nelson Liu might run marathons, but we don't run, right? Especially back then. Men did not run. Only time men would run would be if he committed a crime or someone is trying to do something really bad to him. Those are the two reasons, right? But he runs. You know why? Because he couldn't wait a single moment to be reunited with the son. And I think, you know what, sometimes we forget how much God loves us. This is Jesus Christ, our God, sharing the Father's heart. This is how much he loves us, guys. And we forget. We go through life and we forget, yeah, I don't know if God's even watching me or he even cares or is, if he's even listening to my prayers. But this is a revelation. This is huge. This is how much God loves you. This is how much he loves you. Verse 20 tells us, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And that's a beautiful picture of repentance, right? He leaves his old life and he turns around. Does he go to another country? Does he go to another friend? No, he goes back to the father. And that's what God is calling us to do. And the father doesn't wait for the son to earn his way back, right? What does he do? He gives him a robe, the best robe. That meant he gave his own personal robe to the son. The son didn't even have, a time, didn't even have time to take a shower or even earn his way back. See, guys, when you repent, when you truly repent and go to the father, he's going to take you in right away. He's not going to say, well, you know, you need to serve VBS first. I don't trust you yet. You know, you need to be an usher for a year at least. Go see Bobby Rose. You know, he doesn't do that. He takes him right away. And also, he gives him a ring. The ring was a family crest and was used to stamp documents. The ring signified the son's privilege, rights, and authority back into the family. Back into the family. And also, sandals. Zoris, right? Sandals. And back then, slaves did not wear any shoes. So essentially, he's telling his son, you're not a slave, you're my son. You're not a slave, you're my son. And now some of you might say, well, he doesn't deserve that, right? If you're, if you're honest, right? I know when I read it first, like, wow, that's kind of unfair. What's going on here, right? But that's grace. That's grace. You hear about the word grace often? Grace Fukuyama, 
grace, you know. She's not there. But grace is unmerited. Grace is undeserved. Grace is receiving a gift that we don't deserve. We don't deserve grace. But that's who God is. God is a God of grace. That's who he is. That's what the word tells us. And it is, this is important, it is grace that caused him to come home. It's grace. It's not punishing him or calling him out. It was grace that brought him home. And this is a great picture of us. Empty-handed sinners going to the Father with nothing to give. He's a God of grace. Salvation is this amazing gift to a bunch of undeserving people like us. Amen? We don't deserve it, but yet he offers that to us. And the father continues to go over the top. He throws a big barbecue with a fatted calf. And back then, people didn't eat meat that often, right? For us, we could go in and out and get some hamburgers. But when you have a fatted calf, that's a big deal. That is a big, big deal. Danny Tanaka here. It's like, it's like a 200-pound bluefin tuna with total, fill the total. You know, that's a big deal. And maybe in weddings you would have the fatted calf, but the father is barbecuing a fatted calf for his son. And that's how excited the father is. It's probably one of the biggest parties that that town has ever seen. That's how fired up he is. When you accept Christ, that's how excited God is. Don't downplay it. All right, cool. I just said yes. I raised my hand. That's cool. No, it's a big party. It's a big party. Even before this parable, there's a shepherd that left at 99 to find this one lost sheep. And the shepherd was rejoicing. And afterwards, there was this lost coin that a lady was looking for, and she finds it, and she throws a party too. That's how crazy God is for you. And you know what's, to me, even what is more incredible is he goes out to the older son. He goes out to the older son, and he begged him to come into the party. And the older son represented who? The Pharisees. And Christ is God. And he knows that in a couple weeks, he's going to be crucified by the Pharisees. But yet he's telling him, telling them, I want you to be saved as well too. Come in, come in. Even though I know that you're going to torture me and get me crucified on the cross. So the question this morning, brothers and sisters and friends, are you the rebellious son or the religious son? Is God speaking to your heart just like the younger son at the pig's farm? Or like the lost older brother who refuses to go into the party. God is telling us this morning there are many ways to get lost. Many ways. But there's only one way home. And that's through Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2.4 tells us who, which is God, desires all people to be saved. Do you guys hear that? These are all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God 
And there is one mediator. There's only one way between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. The Bible clearly teaches us there's only one way to the Father. It's not this new age stuff. It's not being a Buddhist or being a Muslim or even being a nice person. That's not going to get you to the Father. Only through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does the Bible say? You will be saved if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe, really believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because why? Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So God had to come up with a plan and that plan was Jesus Christ. And Jesus proclaims in John 14.6, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only perfect person who ever lived because he is God. He came to show us that God, what God looks like in human form. And as God, he died on the cross for our sins and rose again. Romans 5.8 tells us, but God shows his love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And this morning, we need to embrace the Father's love. He's waiting for you to come home. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's leaving the 99 and looking for you right now. He's speaking to your heart. And Jesus is the only way to the Father. And I also want to be clear too. Jesus gives us hope. He gives us hope. But you know what else the Bible tells us? Not everybody's going to be saved. Right? That's the gospel. There's a good news and the bad news. The bad news is there's a hell. The good news is we can live with God forever in heaven. We need to understand that. And as I close, um, I just want to share my testimony briefly. The reason why I'm so passionate about the prodigal son is that I was the prodigal son. And I don't know if you guys know me too well, but I'm going to be transparent. You know, I lived in a life of sin. Just going to be honest, right? You know, I drank a lot, partied, just like the the younger boy. Um, Did some stuff that I shouldn't do, and I don't encourage people to do. I lived a life of sin. And when my brother accepted Christ, man, he went after me hard. He was just sharing the gospel. I didn't want to hear it. Like, it got heated at times, too. I'm like, what are you doing, man? Let me go out and do whatever I want to do. And this is what I really believe. The only way God would have got my attention then was through my son Jordan. 
when Jordan was born, and as I was watching Amy giving birth, there's no way I could have denied God anymore. It was just too perfect. How can we believe in this Big Bang theory by accident that the world was formed? There's no way. Everything. Everything was like, man, there has to be a God. And when I held Jordan for the first time, I felt the Father's love for the first time. And people would tell me before, Jesus loves you. God loves you. I'm like, all right, that sounds cool on paper. But I didn't know what that meant, you know? And when I held Jordan for the first time, all those seeds that my brother were planting, it grew and it made sense. The gospel started to make sense to me. And we ended up coming to uh, Mission Valley. And, um, man, you guys have been a great blessing to us. Like, without you guys, I don't think I would be here today. I don't think Jordan and Amy would be here today. But one thing that really, when I reflect back, that really um, speaks to me is about grace. And I know Pastor Dave shared about grace a couple weeks ago, saying that we are a church that, is, that believes in grace. And I experienced that firsthand, where um, <laughs> I went to Pastor Dave after we were here for a little bit, and I told him, can you do our wedding? And he's like, what are you talking about? Are you kidding, right? I'm like, no. Like, we're not married yet. He's like, what? Oh, I get it. You want to renew your commitment. I'm like, no. Like, we want to get married. And... And he asked me why I want to get married. And I told him, because we want to get right with God. And that's repentance. We want to be right with God. We want to glorify God. And that's the best decision that we've ever made. And it's because of you guys sharing your love and grace, just like the Father, that we are here today still and we got to continue to do that when someone new comes into our church we need to embrace them we need to love on them just like the father he's our perfect example and the reason why the son came back was because of grace as I mentioned before is because of grace and also I gotta give credit to the Yokoyamas too where they showed us so much love and grace too when we first came in. They didn't judge us like, oh man, like you're the, you're the, I don't know, dirty family. I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but they embraced us. They showed us grace, right? Without them, I don't know if we would be here today. And actually James was part of uh, our, our, our wedding ceremony as well too. You know, he shared the word of God during a wedding so we're, we're eternally grateful for the Yokoyamas as well where they show the love and grace of God as well so perhaps the Lord speaking to you today maybe you've never accepted Christ or maybe you've fallen away from the Lord But I could tell you for sure, he's seeking you. He's seeking you. And there's only one way home, and that's through Jesus Christ.
So I want you to ask that question today. Don't wait tomorrow. Today, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We only have now. Got to ask yourself, am I like the rebellious son or the religious son? And right now, I want to I want to give an opportunity. I want to give an opportunity to people that never accepted Christ or or uh, want to recommit your life to the Lord. Maybe you felt like, man, I was like the old I was like the older brother. I want to repent right now. Can you join me in prayer as we pray for them? If you never accepted Jesus into your life, I want you to pray this prayer and repeat this and make it your own. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are God's son. You died on the cross for us. You rose again three days later from the grave. I'm a sinner that needs you. Please forgive me of my sins. From today on, I'm asking you into my life as my Lord and Savior. And with all heads bowed down and eyes closed except for the pastors, please raise your hand if you prayed that prayer for the very first time. We want to know so that we can walk with you on this exciting new journey. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to preach your word this morning. Thank you for blessing our morning together. You're so faithful. You're so good. We're so blessed to have you as our Father. So once again, we want to wish you a very happy Father's Day. Thank you so much for revealing your heart towards us, how much you love us, how much you care about us. We're not just a number, but you see us as your child. So Father God, I pray that you'll continue to speak speak to all of us, that we will continue to seek your word, that we will continue to have a relationship with you, Father God, that we will be devoted to prayer. We love you so much, and you sent your son Jesus to die for us. Thank you so much. So, Father God, once again, We love you so much and we give you all the praise all the glory and all the honor that you deserve in Jesus name we pray amen